Christ can change your past. He died on the cross so that all the sins you've ever committed, all the things you've ever done wrong, are forgiven. You were dead. He breathed into your lungs the breath of eternal life and he resurrected you. It is by grace. Now, now, right now, you confess and believe. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast about what two pastors in New Mexico are learning in the trenches of ministry in the middle of nowhere. Not Another Baptist Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, the crown jewel of Southern Baptist Seminaries. You can find more about them at swibbits.edu. Today, Matt and I are happy to welcome back Robbie Gallaty to the show and uh, so, Matt, take it away with our first question. Kyle has a ministry at, at his church uh, that, uh, that maybe he can remind me the, the name of right now. I can't remember it, uh, but your ladies that come. Yeah, we, we just have a, we have a um, ladies recovery house that, uh, that's a part and, of our Wednesday night. Yeah. And for, for us at Mayhill, I, I shared with you before we went live about uh, the, the summer struggles that we had with a member uh, attempting suicide by overdosing on, on a insane cocktail of pills. And, and that kind of leads with, with this idea of the book and, and what we're dealing with in our churches and those that are listening in, maybe they're wondering, well, how, how can I help? What, what can I do? Maybe it's, you know, I don't realize that this person is in my, my church, but they, they are. How do you counsel addicts and former addicts with whom you speak on a, on a regular basis? Those that are in your life that, that you're able to share with over time, how, how do you counsel them? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that question. That's really the big, the big thing. That's honestly the main reason I wrote the book. For 15, 20 years now almost, I have counseled people since I've been a believer, actually 17 years. And most people come to me and they'll say, okay, what did God do in your life? How did you get to where you are? Give me some tips and pointers. And if you're listening now, you're realizing there's really nothing out there. I mean, like, I mean, obviously Celebrate Recovery's got some materials, but let's be honest. If somebody came to you, Matt, and said, hey, I'm on drugs, my son's on drugs, give me a resource to read, you'd be hard-pressed to find one from a biblical perspective, okay? So the, re the way I wrote the book is the first half of the book was my life story. The reason I did that was to connect with addicts and people struggling. People struggling with an addiction have a hard time connecting with people who haven't. Because I used to go to counselors and I'd sit and a guy would read books and have degrees and letters behind his name and I'd leave and say, what does this person know anything about my life or how would they connect to me? So I wrote the book to connect. The last half of the book is really worth the whole price of the book. Why? I wrote seven or eight steps for people to take in order to experience sobriety from a Christ perspective or Christocentric perspective. Uh, there's a lot of philosophical and theoretical and counseling techniques, but I wanted something from a biblical perspective. So here's what I would say to the pastor leader out there. Number one is this. You have way more people struggling with addiction in your church than you know about. It's, it's prevalent. And if the numbers are right, and I think they are, more people die from opioid addiction than car accidents last year in America. Wow. More people died last year from opioid and drug addiction than died in the Vietnam War. Okay, think about that. Goodness. So you have this insane amount of people dying every year and we really, and even in the church, they're coming to the church and they're saying, help us. We need help. And a lot of us, you know, we're like, hey, pray and suck it up and maybe God will hear, you know, or, or go to a counseling group, which is all helpful. 
But here's what I've found in my own life. And those things are helpful. But let me give you some things. Number one is this. Let me speak to the parents in here. Whenever there's a perpetual drug addiction in the life of a person, okay, whenever, and, and Pastor, you need to listen to this because this will help you counsel. Whenever there's a perpetual drug addiction, it's always traceable to an enabler in their life. Okay. Now, most of the time, the enabler is their mom. Some of the time, it's their dad. For me, it was my dad. My mom and I were the same kind of person. We butted heads. She was uh, very tough growing up. She lost her mom at 11 from cancer. So my mom had to raise her three brothers at 11. Her nickname in our family is the warden. And if you're listening, mom, I say that with a lot of love. But anyway, <laughs> it's the, she's the warden, okay? And rightfully so. But the reality is my mom saved my life. My dad was the enabler. What do I mean? I could go to dad multiple times a month and ask for a, 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 an advance to pay the phone bill that was due multiple times a month. My rent was always due two times a month, every month. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So I could mm. play my dad enough where I could break him down. Now, here's what an enabler does if you're listening. An enabler wants to help the family member. They love them, but they don't realize that by helping them, they're actually hurting them. A drug addiction has three ends, only three ends, jail, institution, or death. That's the only three outs. You're either going to go to jail, you're going to be in an institution for recovery, or you're going to die. And so you need to understand if you're the enabler listening or know someone in your church, you need to realize that you're actually hurting them. My mom in 2001, I'll tell you the quick story of how we got here. So 2001, I had run out of money. My drug addiction was $180 or $200 a day. So what that wow. means is I needed about $80 of heroin and $100 of cocaine or 100 and 100 to live. Every day I woke up, I needed that to live. And uh, I ran out of money. Now, I was selling drugs at first, but any kind of addiction, the addiction outweighs the habit. And so uh, I had to find a way to fuel this insatiable desire I had to get high. I took my dad's credit card number when he wasn't looking. I memorized the number and charged $15,000 on the family bank account. My dad had a collision business where he couldn't see it unless he looked carefully because he charged thousands of dollars a month. And uh, $15,000 a month, I charged in the family bank account. I'll never forget the call. My mom found out about it. She said, it was right before Mardi Gras 2001. She said, Robbie, we found out about what you did. Your father is furious and I'm disappointed. Don't ever come to this house again. I said, mom, you know what? I don't need you guys. I never did. Don't need you now. I hung the phone up, spent the little bit of money I had. And for the next two and a half months, guys, I lived hell on earth. I lived without gas for almost three months, electricity and water. We lived by candlelight. We were more interested in getting high than paying the bills. We mastered the art of the cold shower where I would literally get into freezing cold water with no hot air in the house, get out the water, lather up, get back in. I did that for almost three months because we were so addicted to drugs. And here's the thing. It was that downward spiral that brought me to the place of surrender. And here's what I wanna share with you if you're listening. And this is the line I came up with to, to kind of encapsulate this truth. If you keep being that person's savior, Jesus never can be. Mm. Because let's be honest, think about it. If they have you, why would they turn to Christ? I mean, you're bailing them out. You're providing. You're their satisfaction. You're their protection. Why would they ever turn to Jesus? So I know it's going to be tough. That's why it's called tough love. 
but you have to set parameters and guardrails in a person's life. You have to create a bottom for them. Here's a good insight to think about. You have to create a bottom. An addict will always find the, the last out. If they have an out, they'll find it. Like one more person, one more help, one more phone bill. And then finally, when you create a bottom and you say, you do this or else, then they'll get retreatment and recovery. That's the first thing I would say. You got to create a bottom. Sobriety. Number two, sobriety without Christ is always a dead end street. Always. Here's why that is. You can go to rehab. You can go to AA. I've done the 90 meetings in 90 days, which they say in AA. 90 meetings every day for 90 days. Uh, and you can experience momentary sobriety, but you'll never experience long-term sobriety. Here's why. Every person in this world is born into sin. And we are, in a sense, sinners who love to sin. We are imprisoned in a cell of sin. So you may say in the prison cell, oh, I'm free. I'm not bound by addiction. I'm free. I can walk around the cell. And you can, but you'll never have true freedom unless someone from the outside comes in spiritually, open the door cell of your sin life to let you out. And so you got to look at addiction as kind of like a ball and chain. Once someone sets you free from the ball and chain, it's important for you to walk out of the cell. Now, here's the problem. Just because you're a Christian doesn't guarantee that you experience sobriety long term. Here's why. Many people, after the door cell of the prison is opened, they don't walk out the cell. They stay in the cell. They're, they don't have accountability. They don't, uh, they're never discipled. They're never invested in. They don't mature. But regardless, if you don't have Christ, you'll never have freedom. So what I tell people is Christ is the answer to the sobriety question we're asking. You have to have Christ in order to experience freedom. And, and in light of that, you, I think you touched on this just a little bit, but but flesh out a little bit more how, how you hope this, this book equips maybe pastors, small group leaders, church leaders to, to better minister to those struggling with addiction in their congregations. Yeah, uh, that, that's really who I had in mind when I wrote it, uh, that leaders could take this book, family members could have this book, and we all know someone who's struggling. I mean, you know, Kyle, we, we have people in our church struggling. Matt, you have parents, we have friends. My prayer is that people would take this book and say, here's a story of hope. Uh, if God could take, because when you read this book and I've read this, uh, my staff who I pay and they can't go anywhere. So they, they <laughs> sat, they had to sit through the reading of every chapter of the book. And the reason we did that was, is because I wanted them to, to critique it and give me insights. But for about two months, they read every chapter every week. So anyway, they, I don't know if they liked it, but anyway, they, they were paid to do it. But we read the book together and one of the things we all realize as we journey together through this is that every time I take one or two steps forward, I take three or four steps backward. And so, and this is how addiction works. It's messy. It's never, you know, that's how God works. He never gives you a heads up like he's going to work. He just intervenes. And so one of the reasons I, I one of the, one of the, the hopes I have is that people will read this book and realize, man, Robbie's life's just like mine. I get, I get, uh, you know, one step of, of, of sobriety and then I get back and I get one uh, week or two of, of sobriety and then now I relapse. And so I wrote that for people to give out. So pastors can take this book as a resource on their shelf when they're counseling with people in the church, they can give the book up. I also wrote it to parents. The storyline, I built the book around a storyline. Uh, the way I wrote it is around my parents. So the book begins, not to ruin the book, but the book begins with a great middle-class, loving 
family who I eat with and go to the movies with every week since I was four or five years old to the time I was 20. I like to tell people I've seen every movie in the 80s and 90s there ever was. I saw so many movies, Matt. I hate movies now. I don't even like going to the movies because my dad didn't like, he didn't play sports. He didn't play, uh, he didn't watch athletics. He never did anything. He liked movies and he liked going to dinner. So now I loved it because I hung out with my parents, but we're building the tension at the beginning of the book of this great American family who loves their children. And now I'm going to steal from them, rob from them and, and basically disrespect them. And halfway through the book, mom and dad reach out to me uh, or actually, I reach out to my parents and basically beg them to take me back in. Okay. At the height of the addiction, I'd lost everything. I go to my parents. I'm on the living room floor on my knees, six, six, you know, prideful, arrogant, but I'm broken. And I say, mom and dad, would you take me back? And by God's grace, they extend the grace of God to me after their son d d disrespected them and stole from them. They take me back in, no strings attached, pay my rent off go back and buy back all the things I've pawned at the pawn store. And within three days, they have me in rehab and pay for it. Wow. And here's what's cool about my parents. Little did they know, here's the haha, -ha, the book. Little did they know they were saving me physically from this addiction. But what God was doing is God was going to use me physically to share Christ with them spiritually. So the entire family could be saved for eternity. Wow. And it's just a cool subplot that God used in my family's life to just God. They thought they were saving me, but God actually was using me to save them. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, that, that's really, uh, that, that's, that's hard to, uh, to respond to God. I, I think the best way to is just say, God is good. I mean, praise, praise him for being that God that, that saves. I had a friend ask, you know, what, what God do yesterday at, uh, at church, I said, he does what he does, you know, he saves. And, uh, and mm -hmm. so I just, you know, sometimes you can't put into words, you know, the 500 people you shared before the episode that were coming down for, for prayer. We can't really describe that. You know, the praying specifically for the, the guy to, to be saved physically, you know, we can't, you know, we, we can't comprehend what, what God is, is doing in a silly sense. Like, you know, this is pastor appreciation month, I, I guess with October. Uh, and, uh, a year and a half ago, I'm mapping out first Timothy and we landed on uh, first Timothy chapter five, verses 17 through 25 yesterday. When, when the church had planned, I had no idea, but the church had planned our pastor appreciation uh, Sunday. And so I was preaching on pastor appreciation and safeguards. And, you know, I'll, I was going through the whole text. Uh, but so I'm, I'm like, you know, encouraging the church, like the best way you can appreciate me or whatever is, is your prayer for me. Uh, your hunger for the word, you sharing the God, all of those kinds of things. And then after the service, like, here's a check, you know, and so it was great, but it was just like all these things that God is orchestrating over years. And so what a powerful uh, testimony of that. Before I ask a, uh, a gotcha question uh, from, from Mark Dance. Uh, your, okay. Can I say uh, something before you go? Cause can I, yeah, so that's what I want to ask. Yeah. Well, I just want to ask one. I just want to say one thing on the on piggyback of what you said before you ask this, because I think this is good to hear. I was praying recently for the Lord to really work at our church and work in my life, and I just felt like the Lord impressing upon me, Robbie, don't offend me by offering up small prayers. Mm. 
And I just thought, how often, you know, how often do we pray as pastors and leaders and ministers of the gospel, small prayers that we can do in our own power? Yeah. Like we serve the God of heaven who can do exceedingly above all that we can ask or imagine. And I felt like many times I have this wallet sized picture of God and these minimized prayers that I offer to God. And so I just challenge you if you're listening, I'm here today because people prayed bold prayers for me. I got a picture in the book. If you saw it of my license, uh, six months before coming to Christ, I was mad at the world. I had a feather goatee. I had a gold chain. I had a raised eyebrow high on drugs and people were bold enough to believe that God could save me. And I just want to challenge you. Don't pray small prayers. Pray big prayers and believe that God can do it. Amen. Not, not to completely change the tone. But here, here's my, my question from, from Mark. Okay. And we're talking about addiction here. And, uh, you know, why, why is Donut December indefinitely banned from your vocabulary? <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. Mark dance has, has been my accountability partner for two years. He was pastor to pastors. I like what donut December was not good for my health. Uh, donut December <laughs> for those who don't know was a phenomenon that lasted about two years, uh, where we ate one donut every day for the month of December. Well, here's the reason, Matt, I, I realize in December we eat bad anyway, because we're eating Thanksgiving yep. and then we're at Christmas parties yep, and right. Sunday school and life group parties. So I just thought, let's just blow it completely out. And just give people the, the free reign to do what they want, eat donuts and enjoy it. The problem was last December, I gained 15 pounds in one month. This is a true wow. story. I, I went from eating one donut, Kyle, to eating four to five a day. And so my wife's like, Candy's like, it has got to stop. So <laughs> listening to the better judgment of my spouse, no more donut December. So oh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, so, so where can we find the book? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's everywhere books are sold. You can buy it. Uh, I think it's at East Barnes and Noble in the store, but uh, you can buy it on Amazon and online. Uh, my, my prayer is that you would read it, and even if you don't struggle with addiction, uh, you would read it and be encouraged with a story of hope that God still saves. Years ago, I had the privilege. Uh, uh, I wrote my dissertation on the evangelistic invitation in preaching. And uh, one of the people I got to, sh to study was Dr. Billy Graham. And I got to study Dr. Graham's sermons and, and just how he gave an invitation. And one of the highlights of my life was when he was still fairly uh, well and, 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 and cognizant, I got to visit his home in Montreat, uh, North Carolina. And uh, I was with uh, a friend of mine who, had, who was a mentor of mine, Dr. Don Wilton, who was his pastor. And Dr. Wilton was sitting next to him and he says, share your testimony with Dr. Billy Graham. I mean, you think of this, I mean, just a cool, you know, amazing time to experience this in life. And uh, I share my testimony with Dr. Graham. And he said at the end, praise the Lord, Jesus still saves. And that's true. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. Jesus is in the business of saving. He doesn't work in the business. He owns the business and uh, he continues to do that. So, uh, I just hope people are encouraged that God still saves and God still works and God still moves when we pray. Yeah. Robbie, I, I think I can speak for, for Kyle and saying this has been a great, great Absolutely. encouragement. 
to both of yeah. us uh, and to echo uh, Billy Graham's uh, words there, he does still save. And uh, so we're glad that he saved you and, uh, and glad that you have that ministry there at Long Hollow and, uh, and that you have put up with Mark Dance. Uh, I know he needs the accountability far more. No, he needs it way more than me. Yeah. <laughs> I need it way more yeah. than him. Yeah. Me. And, uh, but, uh, but yeah, we, we are grateful for you. The discipleship encouragement that you are giving uh, pastors, certainly what has worked there at your church between the evangelism and connecting that with discipleship, because far too often we, we kind of land on one or the other, but bringing those together is what it's about. We're grateful for that. This book, I pray, uh, is is going to save some lives as you yeah. you prayed before your your sermon on Sunday physically and uh, so I, I encourage pastors to get this whether it's Amazon Lifeway Barnes and Noble uh, where wherever you can find it and uh, get it into the hands of those that need it but before you do that read it and hear a story of God's amazing amazing grace because you will be in awe and uh and so i'm grateful robbie for you coming in uh, kyle why don't you you send us out with that little yeah. outro yeah well um while you're at lifeway picking up robbie's book you can also find another uh project that he contributed to and that's the disciple study bible that just happens to be in the csb which is uh, our preferred translation, and not just because they pay us to say that on the show. Uh, we, are, we are grateful for our sponsorship with uh, CSB, and you can check it out at csbible.com. Uh, Robbie, once again, thank you. Man, what, a, what an episode. And we're so grateful for, uh, for you, for your ministry, and for what God's doing in and through your life and your ministry there at Long Hollow. Um, and for our listeners, thank you for listening. And until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. I just got to ask before you end it, Kyle. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, what are you, you drinking? What kind of coffee? Uh, I'm just drinking a community pecan praline Ooh. Uh, black. So Okay, right. amen. So so he's living out the outro. Kyle's probably drinking a pumpkin spice latte. Now, I, now we'll let me just, just say, I do drink pumpkin spice latte. Thank you. I just oh, to have oh, thank you. black coffee in the office. I'm validated. Yeah. Yes. Well, here's what I think is funny. I preached this a few weeks ago. I said, there's two types of coffee drinkers. There's those who drink black coffee, and they think they're the only people on the planet that drink coffee, and they're snobs. And then there's the rest of us. <laughs> and I had people, hey, man, I don't know. Yeah, that's great. Awesome. That's great. Thank you, Robbie. Right. You have a great day. Hey, thank you guys too, man. Good to talk to you.